You're listening to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. The show is brought to you by Conversa, a podcasting agency that helps B2B brands start podcasts to connect with prospects, grow brand awareness, and create better content. Now, marketing teams often outsource work to freelancers. This is pretty common. And especially, I think, when budgets are tight and headcounts maybe are reduced or stagnant, freelancers can come in pretty handy, but there are also risks in handing over projects to writers and producers who aren't inside your organization, who don't have that deep knowledge and experience that arguably you need to create the very best content. My guest today posted about this recently on LinkedIn. She is Amelia Kuczynska. Amelia is head of marketing at UserPilot, which is a platform that helps product teams deliver personalized in-app experiences. Amelia, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. It's my pleasure. So introduce yourself a, a little bit more beyond what I just said. Tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about UserPilot. Sure. So I've been with UserPilot for over three years now. So I joined just before the pandemic, January 2020, and I've been kind of with the company from the very beginning, pretty much. The last two and a half years, heading the marketing department, growing marketing department. Essentially, we're a product adoption platform for, for product teams. As you mentioned, we help product teams build these in-app experiences for onboarding, for increasing user engagement, collecting feedback, et cetera, et cetera, without coding. So essentially, it's a bit like Canva, but inside your app, you can build different types of experiences inside your app with it. Hmm. Yeah, I'm particularly interested in, obviously, product-led growth, which is what brought me to use Pilot in the first place. And also content marketing. Our marketing department is heavily reliant on content mm -hmm. for lead generation. And that's why you will see me writing about content marketing a lot on LinkedIn. I also published a book last year about it. It's called Content Operations. Mm. So essentially about building and scaling content teams, especially in the SaaS content marketing department context. Oh, very cool. Okay. Well, I'll make sure to get the the title of your book and we'll put it in the show notes so people can can check it out on Amazon or wherever it's available. Yeah. Awesome. So okay. So so let's dive in. Now I mentioned that you you wrote something on LinkedIn that caught my eye, and I'm gonna quote from it briefly and then we'll talk about this. So you wrote that quote, outsourcing fixing the top converting bottom of the funnel content to a freelancer who doesn't know what they're writing about is as reckless as leaving a newborn in the care of an inexperienced teenage babysitter, period, for a month, period, end of quote. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, so first of all, that's, that's, that's funny. <laughs> it made me laugh. And, and so, but, but really more seriously, you know, why do you think this kind of let's, let's pull this apart a little bit. So what are you getting at here? Right. So first of all, the bottom of the final content pieces are typically the ones that drive most conversion from your entire you know, content operation. So these are the most valuable pieces of content that you have. So they should also be the ones that you invest most in and that you pay most attention to. So typically a freelancer who's not you know, so intimate and they can't be with your products will not be able to like spot all the nuance within the topic, within the post that might be useful for 
you know, bringing in of the monetization logic, more of the monetization logic into the post. They won't be able to see that something has become outdated, say, you know, that you may have changed your pricing or that your competitor has changed their pricing or their features. So what you've wrote, I know, two years ago may not be relevant and up to date anymore. So on the one hand, it essentially poses a risk to, you know, the conversion rate of this post. Um, and on the other hand, it can also affect your reputation because if someone goes, Googles something related to your product or your competitors and they find your post and then find information that's inaccurate, mm. right, especially about your competitors, you won't look credible to them and they will essentially bounce back and won't even probably consider you. Same with, you know, like the reader feeling the writer doesn't know what they are talking about. This affects especially content pieces that are very, that require a lot of expert knowledge to write. And they may have written, may have been written by an expert. But then when you outsource the updates to someone who isn't an expert in this area, obviously they won't be able to update this post effectively. Mm -hmm. So like, there is a lot of nuance here, essentially, and it's difficult for an in-house content team even mm. to you know, gain enough tacit knowledge in a few years. I've seen that in our team to be able to fully understand the target audience, the ideal customer persona, you know, mm. in a very like technical B2B SaaS. So if your in-house team can't do that and the only mm. job they have is really to do that. Like, how could a freelancer do that? So that's essentially what I meant, right? I have nothing mm -hmm. against freelancers. Yeah. I have nothing against outsourcing. We outsource plenty. But these specific pieces of content is just like reckless to do that from my perspective. Mm -hmm. So can you give me an example of the kind of content you're talking about, like that you guys have worked on? Yeah. So for instance, 50 best user onboarding tools, right? Like a super long listicle that arranges the different onboarding tools into different categories based on job to be done. They end up onboarding where we would obviously plug user pilot on top, email onboarding, video onboarding, etc., etc. It's like a go-to resource for anyone who's like looking to build their onboarding stack or, you know, competitive pieces or round up like on a particular feature, right? So, so yeah. Okay, Easy so it seems like presumably you could, you know, furnish a freelancer with the information they need. Like, here are the latest basic updates. Here's this bit of information. Here's some data and all that. But if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that even, even with that, even if you gave a freelancer kind of everything they basically need to know and said, write it, put the puzzle pieces together, it's just that, lack of experience coming in out of the cold essentially is just not going to be nearly as good as someone who's been living, breathing it day in and day out. Yeah. So the post would have an accent, so to say, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It would feel, it wouldn't feel negative because still the person writing it doesn't have any personal experience to give, you know, the post any personal touch as well. Mm -hmm. And um, 
if you were to give them absolutely everything they need to update the post, you might just as well do it yourself. So mm, like, right. what's the point if you're going to say, hey, change this sentence to this sentence here, right? Mm-hmm. Because it would have to boil down to that, mm. right? Uh, well, I mentioned at the beginning that they are not able to see the nuance because they don't have years of tacit knowledge and experience with your products to be able to recognize that, oh, wait, we actually have that feature now. Mm-hmm. Especially with complex platforms and um, user pilot and similar platforms are in fact like a combination of a few products that are talking to each other that cater to different jobs to be done, right? So this can be in-app onboarding, continuous onboarding, can be also user sentiment and feedback collection, increasing user engagement, reducing and preventing churn. These can be also product analytics, right? Mm. So in order to spot the opportunities to update a specific sentence even, mm. right, with something new that has happened inside your product, this person needs to be super familiar with your product and super up to date. Like, as I said, our mm-hmm. in-house team, including myself, even even though I've been with Userpart from the very beginning, right, and I'm following the product team closely, I'm still yeah. not in the product team. I'm still not, you know, working with the engineers. I don't have technical background, so I don't even understand all the nuance myself. So what I'm saying is, it would be very, very difficult to match the quality if you hired a freelancer to do that. Yeah. Okay. That that makes a lot of sense. So I want to read, actually, there's something else you said in the blog post that I thought was really interesting. So you start the post, in fact, by saying that you yourself had spent an entire day updating a single blog post. And the the that was interesting because it was kind of like, well, that's maybe something you'd think that a marketing leader would give to someone else to do, you know, maybe even a freelancer or at least someone else on your team who's more junior. But you kind of made the point that, no, it was it made sense for you to do it. And in fact, you kind of made a point of doing that. So why do you think it's important for marketing leaders and not just lower level people on your team to do some of that, you know, I guess what we would call grunt work? Mm. Yeah, I mean, the... The reasons are twofold, really. On the one hand, what I already mentioned, if your marketing leaders should invest their time in activities that move the needle most, like this is one of the activities. It may look like grunt work, but in yeah. fact, if you have some posts that drive 5% of your conversions mm. overall in total, this isn't some kind of low-level task that you should outsource to a junior, right? This is like mm. the pivotal point of your lead generation engine, in fact. Mm. So I know a lot of marketing leaders who may think of themselves as, oh, I'm too senior to update content, could say so. But when you look at it, when you look at the impact of this one particular post on your overall you know, demand generation, lead generation engine, like, it's just indefensible not to do that. And typically, mm-hmm. if the marketing leader, like myself, has the most experience on the team and has the most experience with the product, right, and in the industry, hopefully, right, they would be also the most competent person to do that in this particular mm-hmm. case, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm also a content marketer, right? So obviously, this is something that 
I do, I used to do, if someone maybe comes from, I don't know, a more technical SEO background or ads background that are just not good at content, then maybe it wouldn't make that much sense for them to do it all themselves, right? Because yeah, yeah. people have different skill sets, of course. But another thing is that in order to lead, you need to be able to do, I believe, mm. right? Yeah. So there is the saying, right, if you can't do, teach. It may be translated into the marketing terms, right? If you can't do coach or if you can't do lead, right? Which is quite counterintuitive, but ultimately this is what often happens as well. And to mm -hmm. an extent, it's inevitable because marketing is such a broad, broad field that no one can possibly specialize in all the different facets of marketing. Right. It's just impossible to keep up. So... If the marketing leader, the head of marketing is, you know, like by trade, the T-shaped marketer and the T, so the leg, the leg of the T, the stem of the T, <laughs> right. the stem of the tree is, um, say, technical SEO or Google ads, right? Or anything else that is sort of more divorced from content, then yeah, of course, they still may not know, may not be the best person to do that, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, in my case, I feel like it just makes sense to be involved in it, to be able to lead that very important operation, very impactful operation with hands-on experience, yeah. right? And to be able to create SOPs, to be able to contribute to the strategy moving forward. Yeah. A lot of great points there. That that old saying, right, If you those who can't do teach, right? Which but actually makes no sense because how can you really teach something if you've never done it? And like, who would, you know, would you ever hire a coach? Let's say like a business coach who had never run a business, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I mean, it's, it would seem like, well, then how do you know what you're talking about? You know, it's all theory. And which I think relates to, to the point you're making that as a marketing leader, you, it seems good just tactically, like as a leadership strategy to, at least now and again, kind of get down in the trenches and take on a task that that your team is is typically doing so that you can, A, demonstrate to them like, hey, I'm not above getting down in here and, you know, getting the work done. And for your own benefit, just so you know, like, this is what the work requires, either to remind yourself or, you know, things change, right? Maybe you did that earlier in your career, but now it's a little bit different and you're kind of down in there. So you can really understand what it is that you're asking your team to do day to day. Like, how can you know that unless you yourself experience it at least sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So now you mentioned that you're, that you do use freelancers and it, at least in some circumstances, right? So you're not against using freelancers completely. So when do you use freelancers? Like what kind of content do you feel comfortable handing to somebody else outside the organization? Oh, yeah, we, we use tons of freelancers, tons of freelance help um, to produce our content. We produce 60 new and 40 programmatic pieces per month. So that's around 100 blog posts per month. So obviously, we couldn't do that without the help of yeah. some freelance teams. We have between 10 and 15 freelance writers at a time producing these 60 new blog posts. These are middle of the funnel to top of the funnel content pieces 
kind of more educational, informational content that attracts our target audience and kind of robes them in and pushes them into our funnel. So these pieces can be about anything, metrics, best practices, SaaS-related content, you know, onboarding UX, product management-related content. These are still not done completely from scratch by the freelancers. So we have currently five, that's going to like stop at four at some mm -hmm. point, full-time content editors that are in-house as well. And again, they take part in product trainings. We have monthly product trainings with the product team where we touch upon the different areas of our products and our competitors' products so that the content team can also understand the nuances. And the in-house content editors create super, super detailed content briefs for the freelance writers. So essentially, the writer gets paint-by-numbers instruction what to include in the post. And this includes all the headings, all the talking points, essentially bullet points for each heading and the images or screenshots. So again, we don't leave the writers to their own devices because they are not subject matter experts. And our target audience is very, um, essentially, yeah, it's very specific. So mm -hmm. they are definitely experts and they can recognize a piece that has been written by someone who doesn't know what they're talking mm. about. Mm. Yeah, so that strategy has changed. We divided these roles, which makes the whole process a lot more scalable and manageable. In the past, when I started essentially as head of content, I was looking for writers who would be subject matter experts to hire in-house. And that proved just extremely difficult. Mm. It was super difficult to find in the first place. And then even more difficult to retain because typically subject matter experts in product management don't want to write just, you know, three to five blog posts per yeah. week at infinitum. So they would quickly get bored and expect either something to change or to change their jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so you're not, so it's, you're, you're not looking for subject matter experts when you're vetting writers. What are you looking for in a freelance writer? Yeah, we're looking for intelligence. We're looking for like general cognitive aptitude, I would sell the same logical thinking, ability to draw conclusions, ability to analyze and synthesize information. Yeah, this might sound a bit counterintuitive for a content writer, like a lot of people would expect me to say, oh, we're looking for native speakers with, you know, mm. a degree in English lit and five years of experience, <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily translate into a great content writer. Well, mm. I found that someone who's, you know, there's a combination of cognitive aptitude and high work ethic, really. Mm. They don't even need to be native speakers, even if their English isn't perfect. I mean, we still expect like very high level of yeah. professional language skills. But we do have a native freelance proofreader who, at the end of the day, does the final proofreading at the end before publishing each piece of content. So if something like small slips the writer's attention, it's much less of a problem than someone who's just not able to connect the dots. And we had that situation quite a few times that someone would get, you know, clear instructions and they would still not be able to 
like see the forest before the trees. Mm. So like logically connect the points. So the whole piece of writing would be coherent. This person still mm -hmm. needs to understand, you know, the instructions and understand what they are essentially reading about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. So there's there's a lot that there's a lot that a, a really good freelance writer needs to be able to do. And I used to be a freelance writer before I got into podcasting. And like one key skill that that I tried really hard to work on was to be able to write for pretty much any given audience. Mm. You know, and it would take a little research, of course, and understanding of who that audience is and so on. But to be able to kind of be like a chameleon a little bit, right, for mm -hmm. any given audience and kind of adopt different voices. You know, so if I'm writing for a company, like for user pilot, to kind of adopt the user pilot tone and style, you know, that sort of thing, which I have found when I work with freelance writers now, when, when I look for writers, is not easy to find either. I find generally it's difficult to find really, really good writers. And, and that's oh, yeah. maybe because there's no certification or anything. I mean, anyone can call themselves a writer and have a couple of, you know, samples of their writing. And you might look at it and be like, okay, they seem to know what they're doing. And then, but I just, I find in, in my own experience, it's really hard to find the true professionals who can just take instructions and then knock out a kind of flawless, you know, piece that just does everything you want it to do at the highest level. Yeah, yeah, totally. And the same applies to content editors. Possibly mm. it's even more difficult to find a good content editor because they're responsible for the quality and essentially factual correctness of, mm. of each piece. And that's super hard. We at a few points in time had to lay a full-time content editor off that we invested, mm. you know, a lot of time into training and onboarding. And as a team, I think we're like generally very, very supportive and we give a lot of chances. We put people on like professional improvement plans and give them their personal milestones and training materials and everything. But sometimes you know, the, the person's still unable to entirely wrap their head around like the kind of bigger picture behind what the company is doing and mm. the goals of the ideal customer persona. So yeah. essentially, what are their jobs to be done, right? And these can be extremely nuanced, right? So yeah. I would say the typical, there is no typical user of user pilot in the mm -hmm. first place. <laughs> like various user personas come with very different jobs to be done. Yeah. And whichever keyword the content editor is covering for a particular blog post, they need to be able to recognize like novel instances of use for user pilot mm -hmm. in like very specific circumstances. So that was the difficulty that a lot of these content editors that were struggling had. So mm. for instance, they get a keyword from the head of content as like fake door test and they've never heard that keyword before and mm. then they do some research in the SERPs and obviously because we still haven't covered that keyword there's nothing about user pilot mm. there might be even nothing remotely related to a tool like user pilot but they still need to be able to recognize how a product manager mm -hmm. that they aren't and they've never probably worked as a product manager 
could use user pilot to perform a fake door test. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. So this is like these mental operations that need to happen. And we've tried to implement some kind of internal certification program, in fact, to qualify good content editing candidates. So we test them not only on writing skills, but also research skills, mm-hmm. general cognitive aptitudes, so like logical thinking. We ask them to reverse engineer an Excel formula that we mm-hmm. actually use to produce some of the programmatic posts. We ask them to find relevant images from our competitors, mm. right? And write an outline so we can see how they structure ideas when they get a keyword and how they're able to do it all under time pressure. So it's a timed mm. test. Right. Yeah. So we developed this at the end of last year after, as I said, we had some difficulties with some in-house editors. Yeah. The, the new people we hired from this batch have only just started, so I'm still not able to say how successful this mm-hmm. instrument was, hiring mm-hmm. instrument. But yeah, I'm hopeful it will be better this time. But, you know, one constantly mm-hmm. needs to refine the way they approach hiring and content. Yeah, well, we should we should check back with you in, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, six months or so and see how it's going, because that test sounds really rigorous. Sounds like a great idea, you know, and I guess you'll find you'll you'll get the data after however long from this batch of people you've hired and you'll see and you'll keep tweaking it. But I mean, we could do a whole, this is really interesting. I hadn't really thought about it in that way, but you could do like a whole podcast series just on finding and hiring the right freelancers. You know, oh, yeah. how, do, how do you do that? It's so, it, it really can be difficult despite the huge number of people out there who are freelance writers who are, or at least who call themselves freelance writers. Yeah, we could totally, you know, break it down into several yeah. episodes, the series, like from where do you cast the net, even because as yeah. you said, like it's a red ocean that's yeah. so so crowded. And at the same time, yeah, it's it's super hard to tell the good people from the ones that are a bit of imposters apart. Yeah. And I would say you need to be proactive in looking. So you can't just like open LinkedIn job posts and wait for these 3,000 unqualified people to click right. apply button without even reading your yeah. app, which is what happens on LinkedIn a lot of times. It's just too easy to apply. Yeah, I would say to even shortlist a good bunch of like, you know, the first list of candidates, you need to look proactively for people that are already publishing content on the topics that, you know, you publish content on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've looked for freelancers all over the place and we we often use something called Writer's Access, which is specifically a freelance writer, you know, portal. And okay. and it works pretty well, but but even then, you know, even then you can get people who specialize in this thing and they have all kinds of samples and you just never know. You know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And I guess it depends what your criteria are for good writing. You know, but they that criteria should be as high as possible, right? It should be as strenuous as possible. Well, there's there's so much more we could talk about. Obviously, you could just you know do many episodes on this, but let's wrap things up. So, Amelia, how can people con- connect with you if they want to continue this discussion? Oh, so I think LinkedIn is the best. I hang out there quite regularly, so you can just like find me on LinkedIn and add me to your connections. I also have this book that I mentioned on Amazon 
which essentially describes our journey and what we did at UserPilot. So kind of step-by-step instruction. I'm also doing a bit of learning in public on Patreon. So I have a profile called Content Op there where I publish like my most recent learnings on content operations and especially programmatic SEO. Oh, excellent. Okay. Well, we'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes so people can find it easily. Well, thank you so much for sharing your your knowledge with us. Really appreciate your time. Thank you too. Um, It was super interesting to chat with you. And yeah, hopefully we do another episode at some point. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-Versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.